The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Uh, the thing I wanted to talk about first is to call attention to the fact that our fellow podcaster uh, and and good good aviation buddy Steve Tupper has has done yet another clever thing here, uh-huh. and that is that he put out the word a couple weeks ago or so, maybe a week ago, um, inviting people to submit ideas to him on the following subject. And he uh, Steve readily admits that this is uh, inspired by uh, what's the the comic's name? Jeff Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy. Jack Foxworthy. 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 Okay. Um, who has a a a, a legendary uh, uh, routine where he says you might be a redneck if, and Steve said, uh, tell me, uh, let's come up with lines that you might be a pilot if, and uh, and he thought he'd get a few, and he got like dozens, and yeah. on, and many of them are really very clever. Um, you should go check out a uh, his uh, website, uh, his blog at airspeedonline.blogspot.com. Um, he's also issued an episode of the podcast where he uh, relates a lot of these. Um, just a couple, and I'm really just kind of picking them at random. He said, uh, you might be a pilot if uh, you cause a traffic slowdown passing the airport because you're scanning <laughs> for traffic and identifying departing and arriving aircraft. He says, or if you pre-flight your car, or if the first thing you do when getting on a United Airlines flight is to tune to Channel 9. And uh, here's one of my favorites. A couple of these are, are, and Steve, this is for you, a couple of these are too close to home, okay? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of them that are very close to home. I like Dave's. Dave, One of Dave's was, let's see, where'd it go here? Uh, he says, uh, you might be a pilot if when you're on a rough road and you call the state police road conditions hotline and you ask for hire. <laughs> That's right. Um, but there's a lot of these. They're very, very clever, and I absolutely, rec- I, I see myself in a bunch of these, so... Uh, uh, one that I I'll, I'll say one that I put in that I've all, I think and I've totally done this is uh, if you've ever tried to slow your car by pulling on the steering wheel, <laughs> which I've absolutely done. I'll be driving along and it's not so much I was pulling on the steering wheel as I was trying to raise the nose. I think mean, I got to slow down. Right. right. Trying to uh, there, there's one here that just jumped out at me. Which out one's of, that? Uh, Steve's collection. You've ever used the phonetic alphabet while making uh-huh. a restaurant reservation? Yeah. How about making restaurant reservations, uh, airline spelling your names? Yeah. Uh, when I call, when I call some of these uh, travel services uh-huh. and need help, and they want to know, you know, where I'm flying to or from, or what my reservations are for, and and I always answer with the ICAO identifier, mm-hmm. and there's a long pause. The ICAO identifier phonetically, of course. Right. Uh, you know, like, well, I'm I'm trying to get out of India, Charlie Tango, and I go what 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 what. <laughs> but making you know, a phonetic alphabet while making a restaurant reservation, while paying for airline tickets, uh, when trying to give directions to people from out of town, uh, when I have to when I have to uh, when I have to. Uh, uh, Make any any kind of reservation, not just a restaurant one. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's one, and of course, you know, this is this is all Steve, but this one kind of sort of hits 
close to home for all of us, I think. Yeah. You, you started a podcast and poured untold hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars into it on the theory that it might one day get you a ride with a military jet team. That's right. That's totally Steve. That's exactly, I mean, Steve's very frank about that. That's, uh-huh. and, uh, um, that, I don't want, I don't want and to it worked, <laughs> and it worked. And so, it worked. So yeah, these are a lot of fun. And uh, it says you, if you plan a road trip with a nav log, a plotter, and an E6B. All right, mm-hmm. you know, I've done or, or worse, just you know, you, you plan your your um, your driving trip, and um, you you figure out when you should be at which exit. And use a, use a watch to figure out if you're ahead of schedule, behind schedule, and when the next exit will come up. That's, you're, you're, that's you're making 190000 a year but driving 98 metros since most of it's <laughs> going out the door in alimony. I'm thinking you drive a 20-year-old truck so that you can fly a 40-year-old airplane. <laughs> So it's a great collection, and everybody ought to go check it out. Either check out the text version in his blog or or, uh, listen to it. Log in and add your own. Yeah, that's right. A lot of them came in the comments. And uh, so uh, that's a lot of of fun. Thank you to Steve for putting that together. That's at airspeedonline.blogspot.com. So anyways, uh, with that, let me say welcome, folks, to episode 109 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Tuesday evening, November 18th, 2008. It seems like we do this earlier and earlier every week. Oh, yeah. because we have so, been. Sooner or later, we'll, we'll catch ourselves. Yeah, we'll, we'll be doing we'll, we'll doing an episode we'll before the one previous one, something. right? You know, and... Uh, so uh, let me say hi to the gang that are here in the virtual hangar. Uh, that's, uh, that voice is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Jack. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned, a little confused here today, though. What's that? I got my got my mail out of the mailbox, and I got on, on one hand, I got a Sporties catalog. On the other hand, I got a uh, Victoria's Secret catalog, and I don't know which to open first. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you knew the proper answer to that, it would be a you knew you're a pilot if. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> and the other voice out there is Dave Higdon. Dave's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you guys doing? Hope everybody is, uh, you know, having a, a lovely week so far. Just fine as frog fur. Yeah. Although it's it's well, and I'm Jack Hodgson. Before I talk about the weather up here, I better say my name. I'm talking to you from Dover, New Hampshire, where I actually saw snow in the air up here today for the first time. Would, would that be UCAP World Headquarters? Yeah, it would be UCAP World Headquarters. Snowed in, though they may be. No, we're not nearly snowed in. And this is actually not the first snow. Um, when I was out of town one time recently, apparently had some good snow for a few minutes anyways. Not that stuck. We still haven't had a first snow that's actually stuck yet, but... Uh, but it's. Uh, uh, I saw snow on TV over the weekend, and again this morning on the TV, and again this morning on the TV. Getting close to places that I, I, where I used to grow up. Yeah, we uh, wrote about that on where the, I was growing up. Yeah, you wrote about that in the blog, and uh, right. Yeah, and I sat down in front of the computer and thought I'm going to write a couple of paragraphs about this, and then I wound up with you know a fire hose keyboard again, and yeah. there we go. But it it sure flashed me back to a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, flights with snow on the ground, and so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Pretty Getting soon we're going to talk about. I, I'm really putting off talking about cold weather, fl- weather flying because I'm not looking forward to it. And uh, why? Uh, because I don't like winter in general. It's not. I understand the flying part. I mean, that's well, fine. Can I can I just interrupt with a kind of a dumb question? Yeah. Why do you live <laughs> in New Hampshire? 
No, that is a good question. Jack, Jack, why don't you live a little farther north where, you know, winter yeah. is not that inconsequential, but they handle it so well. Yeah, really. You know, they don't know what a snow day is in the school system. There was a period of my life where I, I thought about, I fantasized about the idea of trying to get a job at EAA, and uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, because I, you know, it's no no secret that I love the organization, um, and uh, and I enjoy my visits to Oshkosh every summer, and and it was only after I'd been going to Oshkosh for many years that it suddenly occurred to me that I thought it was summer in Wisconsin all the time. All the time, right? You uh-huh. never, you've never seen it, and it's. Uh, other flavor. Yeah, that's right. right. And uh, as I learn more and more about about winters in Wisconsin, I realize that as much as I love EAA, I would have to work remotely because I could not do winters <laughs> in Wisconsin. I'm not that strong. But there's such great winter sports up there, though. Yeah, well, that's that's sort of a contradiction in terms, but okay. This this last winter, <laughs> yeah, this last winter I was trading emails uh, with an EAA employee, and the employees, you know complaining oh it's you know 20 below and there's a windshield and and the shovel is stuck to the frozen to the the snow in the driveway and i can't get my car out and and you know i would write back with simply a link to the current sarasota weather and that would tend to end the conversation yeah (laughs) make a lot of friends up there in the north but uh, yeah I, i i still count those people among my friends, even if if they don't have much time for me these days. But I understand but, the part about airplanes flying better in the in the cold air and the, all that thing. And uh, but uh, it's not the airplane part; it's winter in general. I you know I mean I've said this before. I just don't like winter. And yeah. you know the thing I don't like winter like the most about winter is that it happens every year. The, the, you know, <laughs> right. No, if you could get it like every third year, exactly, may, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it would be like a novelty. Every five years, you have winter. All right, uh, you know? I'd go nuts if that only happened that often. Yeah, well, God but bless I you. I guess I'll... that's why I'm, uh, I've, I've tried really to be a non-extremist about this weather thing. I, I like most of all four seasons for different reasons, and I've owned a four-wheel drive truck for most of the last twenty-five years because of those. Sometimes only one or two, and sometimes eight or ten days every winter, when it really pays yeah. to be one of the only people that ought to be on the street, or right. you know, is equipped to be on the street, and kind of you know idle by those folks that tried to go out when they really weren't equipped to go out. Yeah. Well, I admit having my four-wheel drive Jeep. I have a Jeep Cherokee, and uh, and having that has uh, has been. And, and ironically, I bought it when I lived in California, when I never needed the four. I mean, I was I was a classic example of the kind of person who bought an SUV, a four wheel drive vehicle, and never took it off the pavement. But but now having it back here in the Northeast, it's it's it definitely makes the winters a little more tolerable because I. Well, we we bought ours in California. Yeah. Uh, our trooper, and we uh, regularly got out into the desert. Well, I shouldn't say regularly. We didn't have that many bloody weekends off in our jobs, but when we had weekends off. We very often went out to the desert and got off the road or went up in the mountains to some of the hang gliding sites where access is by four-wheel drive vehicle oh, only. that sounds great. Uh, when we celebrated a wedding anniversary one year over Thanksgiving weekend, we drove down to uh, into Baja in Mexico and found a stretch of beach about 25 miles long with nothing on it and camped on the beach and drove up and down and explored every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 
you'd drop the air pressure and the tires down to about four or five pounds, mm-hmm. and it, they just float on the sand. Yep. And uh, we we had a had a great time at it. And living in Kansas for most of the years since, uh, you know, sometimes winter is a little disappointing. And I'd put it in four-wheel drive on wet days anyway just to exercise the hubs and the front axles. And then there's those days like we had last winter where uh, we had enough sequential snowstorms of sufficient volume that snow didn't melt off the ground for about five weeks. And uh, I like that. Okay, well, good for you. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're in the right place for it then. See, yeah, I, and then it's a you know then it's a hundred plus in the summertime and dry like the desert most of that time and you know in fall and spring it's really pleasant and moist and humid and green and lush or red and gold and brown and there's nice variety here it swings through. Uh-huh. All right, we got to move on to aviation stuff where people are going to start sending us letters. Uh, we uh, I've added a new section. I started a new section on the uh, UCAP wiki uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, I wanted to. St- I almost did this as much for my personal benefit, but uh, it seems like it's struck on a nerve. I think. I hope. Uh, I wanted to start making compiling a list of the airports here in sort of the northern New England area that had uh, had restaurants. Uh, either on the field or like really close by, like easy walk. California's in New England. Well, I started with New England, <laughs> and uh, and I put I started the list with about a half a dozen uh, restaurants, most of them here in in Massachusetts and uh, and New Hampshire and Maine. Um, I knew of a couple in California as well, and uh, and then I put the word out to our listeners on the blog, and uh, already there's the list is up to about twenty right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. All over the country, um, a lot of New England northeastern ones, but there are some California ones. There's a Missouri one, um, so uh, I invite our listeners to take a look at this and to add your own. Uh, that's the whole point of a wiki: is that it's editable by anybody. So there's a little button near the top of the page that says uh, "Edit this page" or whatever it says. Let me see. It says uh, "Edit this page," and you can go in there and uh, and add any restaurants that you know of uh, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world for that matter, I guess, and. Uh, We'll see what we can build here, but uh, it's uh, it's, gr- it's growing to be a fun I'll list. A few names in there what, as soon as I confirm that they're still open. Yeah, well, I'm waiting yeah. for you to put the the hotel there in here. Um, the uh, Beaumont. Beaumont. Yeah, got to look up the designator there. That's one of the weird ones because it's a private field. Yeah. So take a look at that. Go to uncontrolledairspace.com/wiki, uh, and uh, it will. Uh, uh, there's a a link there on the home on the wiki homepage to the restaurant list. I'm to add one right now. Okay. While you're adding that one, I want to tell you, I just had, I had the most fun. Well, it was definitely fun, but it was, there were a lot of layers to this adventure at the airport I had yesterday. Um, yesterday morning, I went out and began a process that I've been thinking about doing ever since I first learned to fly. And okay. that is yesterday I began working on my tailwheel endorsement. All right. Cool. Yeah. So I went out yesterday morning. I actually, the, the, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing this quite yet. Um, if people who have been following the saga know that I'm a refugee from Osby Valley Aviation, my home airport, uh, because they, their rental operation shut down, the whole FBO shut down. So uh, I was looking for a new place to rent airplanes, and I've been without any airplane to fly. And so I finally thought, you know, I I, I got to do this. I'm going to go up to uh, Sanford, Maine, and and uh, get checked out in some of their airplanes. And I was planning on getting checked out in their like 172 or their one of their LSAs, just so because I, I figured I could do that pretty quickly, and that way I'd have an airplane to fly. 
Um, so I was in there over the weekend. Um, we had yet another one of our IMC weekends up here in New England, um, which I know, Dave, you consider that to be you know kind of a real plus, but for us VFR pilots, it just means we're well, grounded. It, it, it's a plus once in a while. Yeah, but... but for me, it means I'm grounded. So anyways, I drove up to Sanford on Saturday morning to have breakfast, and I figured I'd go into the, uh, into the FBO and schedule. The forecast was for it to be good on Monday. So I said, I'll, I'll schedule some time flying their, their uh, GoBosh or something like that um, and get checked out. That way I'll have an airplane to fly. Um, so I went in, I was talking to them, and I said, I want to you know, get checked out in the GoBosh. And they say, okay. Uh, and then they look, and they realize the GoBosh is, is in maintenance until midweek. And I'm gone for the rest of the week. I can only do this Monday or Tuesday. So I said, well, all right. And then I th- said, well, I tell you what, let's do this instead. I've been wanting to do the, uh, the uh, tailwheel uh, endorsement thing. So let's begin that on Monday. So we decided we would. And I got uh, got matched up with an instructor, and they put me on the schedule. And I went in uh, in uh, yesterday morning and uh, and got my first uh, logged my first time in a Citabria. Oh, cool! And it was uh, it was it was interesting. I'll tell you, you know. And I and I I understand that that it's a process, you know, and it's going to take me a little while to do this. They say it could take anywhere from five to fifteen hours of flying yeah. time to uh, get this thing done. And I, you know, at first I thought, wow, that's a lot. But now that I've done one flight, I can see, yeah, it's going to take a little while. Yeah. But uh, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, a couple of things that kind of popped out at me from the whole process. The first was, so we, uh, I went up there. Um, I filled out all the paperwork because this is my first time renting from the FBO, so they need. By the way, do you know that, it, that apparently the TSA requires that they see my proof of citizenship to, like, rent an airplane? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, they needed to see my birth certificate and my driver's license and my, my pilot certificate and my medical and my logbook and all that kind of stuff. So we're doing all that paperwork. Then I sat down with the instructor and we sat around a table and we talked about the differences and the kind of the basics and that kind of thing. And that's kind of as you might expect. And then we went out and uh, it did a pre-flight on the airplane. And uh, it really, the whole process brings back the memories of, you know, primary training. Because in many ways, it is it is kind of a primary training. And uh, so we're going around the airplane. And uh, it's the first time I've ever flown an airplane with, with fabric wings, too. So that was kind mm. of a change. Fabric, more than just the wings. The fuselage, uh, the empennage are all fabric covered on this airplane. So that was different. And... Uh, and then we climbed in the airplane and uh, and we cranked it up and uh, and uh, and so we're taxiing out and that was kind of interesting. I got to taxi. He told me going in. He says oh, you're going to get to taxi some. My train is going by. Uh, we're going to you're going to get to taxi some on the ground uh, and uh, and then I'm going to have you follow on the controls when we do a takeoff. And then we'll let you fly the airplane and do some air work and that kind of thing. And then I'll let you follow the controls of land. Um, the weather was, at, although it was a beautiful day, uh, it was pretty windy uh, on, on mon- yesterday morning. Uh, That's when it gets fun. Yeah. And, and yeah. he said yeah. that although the wind would be great a little bit, little bit later on in the process, he says that to begin, it's maybe not a good idea for me to be trying my first uh, takeoffs and landings. It was, it was uh, sort of a quartering crosswind, um, 11 knots gusting 18. So it was... Yeah. It was a bit of a that, windy that, day. That's a little, particularly when you, when, when the wing loading yeah. really goes down. So he warned me in advance that I might not get to do any actual takeoffs and landings today. Um, so um, we we took off uh, and and we're climbing out. All right, I mean we're just like you know. 300 feet off the deck and he says your airplane and i hadn't really expected that i knew i was going to get the airplane eventually but i didn't realize i was going to get it quite that quickly and so i immediately grabbed the controls and i start flying the airplane and i immediately realized that this airplane feels very different than a cessna 150 uh, 52 Um, this airplane is much part of it i think by the way is that it 
the, the air is pretty bumpy. It's a, it's a pretty squirrely day to begin with. Yep. Um, but uh, the airplane itself, I mean, it, it, by its very nature, as I understand it, this airplane is not as stable as other airplanes. That's, that's now, what, what was this again? It was a Citabria. A Citabria. Okay, sure. Yeah. A Citabria Well, it's, it's, it's as stable as... There are tailwheel airplanes that lighten with that light of wing loading that may have uh, considerably more dihedral in the wing, which is pretty much, you know, a, a, a big, the biggest influence on roll stability, yeah. at least, is in the dihedral. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's long enough it's, and, and got just enough tail that it'll track fairly straight fairly mm-hmm. easily. It doesn't take much rudder to, to command it to move. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's... But the big thing is, how much how much flying had you done with a, a floor-mounted control stick versus yokes? Uh, none. And that. that was the other thing I discovered, yeah. all right, is yeah. that um, uh, I, I my instinct, I, I wasn't even thinking, he said, you're a bear plane, all right? And so I kind of reached for the controls, and I reflexively reached for the control stick with my left hand, because mm-hmm. I always fly with the yoke with my left hand primarily, where I guess everybody does. Okay. Um, and he, 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 you know, looking around and watching me, he says, no, he says, use your right hand. And I suddenly realized, of course, that's what you have to do because the throttle's on the left. Right. Yep. And, and, and immediately that was really disorienting. I mean, I, I, it surprised me how disorienting that was. Um, that my my left hand knew how to fly, my right hand kind of didn't know how to fly. Hey, by the time you do, by the time you get your endorsement, you will have relearned a whole bunch about flying. Oh. Well, let me rephrase that. You will have learned a whole bunch of new stuff about flying that you've never been exposed to before. Sure. Right? Be- because they ain't been in those other airplanes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be great. I'm I'm real looking forward to it. But it was it was a handful. It was a workout. Um, I you know we we climbed out of the airplane at the end of the uh, at the hour and uh, and I I felt like I'd been exercising, you know. I mean, the control forces seemed a lot heavier in this airplane than what I'm used to. Um, it was, not only were they heavier, but it was much more sensitive. It didn't take much control input at all to make it do things. And uh, Finger uh, and thumb, finger and thumb. Yeah, really. So, uh, um, you know, I, I was, so, you know, but I understand. It's I'm very, very early in the process, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, the visibility was awesome in this airplane. I mean, just far and away the best visibility. I mean, not only that's be- always cool because it's yeah. uh, what do you call it? Tandem seating, front and back seating. Yeah. Um, obviously, I have equal access both looking out the left and the right, which is a, already starts out being better visibility. But what I didn't expect is that uh, the view out the front. I, I apparently I don't know if you're sitting up higher or the cowling's lower or both or or you know it's really the same thing but but uh, when I first tried to tr- you know kind of set a, an attitude on the airplane to to cruise I was still <laughs> climbing because I had the nose way up high I thought okay well that's about where I put it on my 152 it must be someplace in there you know and he goes no you're still climbing and I go wow I am you know and I lowered the nose some more and you had they really have the low the nose low to be straight and level in this thing yeah it's a whole different sight picture and man uh-huh. it was great I mean you can see you can see it was terrific. I liked that part a lot, you know. So, uh, well, you know, one of the big things is it's such a tiny cow. I mean, it's you know, I don't think the things are two feet long. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they're really short. Uh, they're even shorter on on the old air knockers with the uh, you know sixty five, seventy five, eighty five horse engines in them. Well, this was a hundred horse, right? This was 150 horse. 150 horse. Oh, it's, boy. Satabria, not an air knocker. Yeah. Yep. I'm yeah. sorry. A, 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 uh, 
a brawnier version of the airplane. Yeah, yeah man, it yeah. got up and went. I'll tell you. Yeah. You know, he warned yeah. me. He said, he says, wait, you see, this thing's going to climb, and it sure did. He says, your airplane, and I'm practically going. St- I mean, I couldn't see the ground over the cowling. I had the nose so high, you know, and I'm kind of like trying to find the right attitude. And it was, anyways, it was great. I, I you know, and uh, I'm looking for. I, you know, I came home. I got home that afternoon, and I'm thinking, I want to go back now. I want to go back today. You know, unfortunately, I couldn't schedule the second flight until a week a week later next monday so uh so i'm scheduled to go back and get uh it's session number two next monday yeah. well cool for you yeah but I, now yeah. I, but the problem is i was really had intended to do something a little more straightforward first so that i'd have an airplane to fly in my spare time and now i haven't done that so i don't know whether i'm gonna i, I gotta sneak in this gobosh or something at some point so that i can have an airplane to fly because it's going to take me you know a few months probably to to get this thing accomplished, and, uh, I, I'm sorry, I missed something. I was no. I was doing I was clicking on something or uh, completely missed. What is a scobosh? A, a gobosh. Gobosh. It's an LSA. It's an LSA that uh, they have on the line here. They're actually a dealer for it up there. And uh, okay, which which model do they have? Beats me. I mean, what's the difference? How many models are there? I think there's a couple. I think they've got a high wing and a low wing. Now, this is the low wing. It's a low wing control sticks, big bubble canopy. Uh, huh. You, know, you might you glance at it, you might not realize that it was an LSA. It, it looks very much like a small, you know, I mean, traditionally certificated aircraft. And uh, um, I want to make sure I'm not sticking my foot in it here. Yeah, well, go There's to so many uh, go to have high wing and low wing both. And I mean, go to uh, uh, what is it? SouthernMainAviation.com and uh, look at their. Uh, list of airplanes and you'll get a better idea so anyways that was my adventure at the airport i had a blast and uh um finally doing something i've always wanted to do and uh, and i you know just after one flight there's no doubt in my mind it's going to make me a better pilot i mean i you know if i can master this thing the 152s and 172s are going to be much much more you know i don't know approachable handleable manageable well, be great. David, you're obviously a tailwheel. I mean, it sounds like you are. Uh, Jeb, are you? Did you do the tailwheel thing? Um, I, I don't have the endorsement. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I did some training um, uh, in the D.C. area a couple of years ago in um, actually a uh, uh, decathlon, which is even more fun mm-hmm. than a Cetabria. Um But um, it got about, I don't uh, I'm sure the instructor would say oh, about yeah. about. About a tenth of the way through it, uh, I figure about a half to two two thirds of the way through it, and got busy with some other stuff, and ended up moving down here, and I just haven't gotten back to it. I've got a lot of uh, uh, hangar neighbors with tail draggers, um, and uh, I will probably be tapping them in the near future, though. Uh, once I get okay, a few. Okay, for the record, I was wrong about the high wing, low wing. In the case of Gobosh, they make two low-wing models, mm-hmm. uh, the 800 XP is a composite low-wing, and the 700 S is a metal low-wing. Oh. So, uh, some of the other, some of the other old uh, LSA makers have uh, a, a choice of high-wing and low-wing designs. And, uh, yeah, these are pretty airplanes. Yeah. Pretty airplanes. So, so it, it should be you'll fun. have fun in that, too. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it, it's it's going to but and, and there's another place where this whole flying with your right hand thing is going to come in useful and uh, you know it's interesting you, you say that years ago I was working on my uh, my flight instructor ticket mm-hmm. which is you know obviously flying from the opposite side of the airplane mm-hmm. and I'd pretty much gotten all this down and this opportunity came up I was 
uh, the club I was uh, in uh, was giving some rides, familiarization rides. And um, this was, I don't know, 20 years ago, this Congressional Flying Club. And we were trying to market some memberships to members of Congress and staff. So we put out all these invitations, got a bunch of people out to Dulles uh, Airport one afternoon. And I've got this Skyhawk that I'm, I'm using. And, and uh, we I don't know how the... the uh, um, um, passengers got assigned, but I got two staffers, and I got Congressman, then-Congressman Norm Mineta, later um, really? um, Secretary of Transportation. And I'd, I'd known uh, uh, Mr. Mineta before that in an earlier life, and, and he and I got along, so we went for a ride. And, and we took off out of Dulles, and, and uh, I had a, um, a staffer um, um, in the left seat. We flew down to Manassas. Uh, put another staffer in the left seat, flew from Manassas down to, uh, I don't know, Warrington or Culpeper or something like that, Virginia, and then put Manetta in the left seat and flew back to Dulles. And um, in the we were landing at Dulles, and, of course, he got a little gusty. And as I'm, I'm, I'm doing the landing from the right seat, and just as I get into the flare, of course, uh, a gust you know, picks up the airplane and, and uh, or throw, I guess actually uh, um, uh, kind of increase the sink rate. So, of course, what do I do? Reflexively, from yeah. the left seat, uh, in the left seat, of course, I would add power with the right hand and pull back a little bit on the yoke with the left hand, right? Okay. <laughs> Which yeah. is exactly what I did from the right seat. <laughs> Pushed down on the nose and pulled off the power. <laughs> and um, got religion real quick. Uh, oops. Uh, oops. And uh, recovered, and, and the airplane flew again, and, and no parts were left behind on the runway and all that kind of thing. But, I, uh, I was covering Mineta on a full-time, well, I was covering his committee, yeah, uh, yeah. On a pretty heavy basis for about three years, yeah. and I remember when he said he was he joined the Congressional Flying Club and was starting to take lessons, because I kind of leaned on him once and said, "You're chairman of this aviation subcommittee, yeah. you know, uh, don't you think you ought to, you know, at least wouldn't wouldn't it help you if you at least got out and did more than." listen to a bunch of talking heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, time and schedule and getting back to the district. Blah, 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 and I, I saw him a couple of months later, and he said, hey, by the way, he said, I joined the Congressional Flying Club. I'm taking lessons. I'm really good? enjoying it, and you're right. I'm, I'm starting to pick up some things. He said, and I went to see the uh, Washington Center, uh, the uh, TRACON, uh, there for, for uh, the well, Washington Center, not the TRACON, but the, uh, the uh, radar control facility that uh, is out there by Leesburg, Virginia. He said, I understood so much more of what was going on on the screens yeah, yeah. after having taken some lessons. Well, and he he, said, he did all that despite the ride with me. So. <laughs> no, exactly <laughs> what you're talking no, about, Jeff. Just, I mean, the left-hand good. right thing was really was really flipping me out for a while uh, during this well, flight. And, uh, Jack, for, when, you, when you get to fly in this Gobosh, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned that you know the flying the, the stick and flying with your right hand and all that being useful, you're going to be back flying with your left hand more than likely. Probably because I imagine that the throttles... And uh, the throttle is in the middle of the panel. You know, I didn't look at the one they actually have there, but I was looking at a picture of a Gobosh, and it had the. Th- it appears to have the throttle on the left. Really? Uh, it, it actually appears to have two throttles, both. Yeah, one on the, the left and one on the far right. Bo- oh, that's cool. No, no, both to the left of the sort of s- of the. All the, right. 
you know that go. that seated yeah. position. All right. How do you spell this? Gobosh. G O B O S H. Like it sounds. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Gobosh dot arrow A E R O. Got it. So, anyways, All I'll right. be I'll be regaling you guys with uh, with more stories about my uh, tailwheel training as time goes on, and uh, hopefully I will be making some progress. I expect I will, but it's it's definitely going to be some work. It was a handful, I'll tell you, and uh, it was both uh, well, exhilarating and, and tiring, and uh, you know, so it'll be cool. It'll be cool. We got to move on here. Um, if you yep. find that stuff, we can come back to it. Um, a very very cool posting uh, in the forums from one of our listeners. Um, uh, a listener who goes by the name of Pilot MKN has posted some very, very cool pictures. Now, as as an aside, let me say that I, I meant to check. Way back in the early days of this podcast, we got some email from a young person. I, I, I seem to recall he was like a high school-aged guy. Um, who was talking about his grandfather's grass strip and how they were working on it and how he was driving a truck and doing a... Well, anyways, I, I kind of get a feeling this might be the same person, but whether it's the same person or two different people, um, very, very interesting stories. Let me read you, let me read you these two paragraphs here. Um, he says, I finally got around to posting pictures of my grandfather's airstrip. This is Pilot MKN. A little back history. It's located in Mississippi outside of Oxford. He bought this land uh, just a few miles from his shop about 10 years ago and started working on it a few years later. Originally, it was deep woods. He had a logging company come in and take out the trees. Uh, we gradually cut down more. Uh, we started grading it with the equipment he had purchased. Uh, we also had to fill in a, a, a large gully at the south end of the runway to extend the length since the owner of the cow pasture wouldn't part with any of his land. Uh, filling in the gully took the longest amount of time since every time it would rain, it would wash away our work. He says, it took us a good four to five years of work, and it, but it is, it is ready, or and it was ready. Uh, I spent my summers in high school out there driving dump trucks and a loader instead of partying with my friends, but hey, it was for a good cause. It's about 1,800 feet long, and as you can see from the pictures, it slopes downhill to the south. Takeoffs and landings can be made in both directions, but you have to keep an eye on the trees and the cow pasture and then the orange fence as you come, out, come into the south. Um, he's posted a whole, and he's written some more. I won't won't read it all here, but uh, he's posted a whole bunch of really cool pictures that just make me want to go there and yeah. fly, if not live, um, in this just great little, literally grassroots flying strip um, down in Mississippi. Um, some great pictures of the of the turf um, uh, from the cockpit uh, in the pa- at the pat in the pattern. Um, and then a couple shots of airplanes uh, landing and taking off, and then some airplanes in the hangar. And uh, it's just terrific. This yeah. is just, you know, boy, I mean, you guys have talked about this. I'm not sure if it will ever happen for me, but wouldn't it be great to, to be able to, you know, set up your homestead like this? I think that would just be great. That's my ambition. I know. Why well, I got this property down in uh, Tennessee, and one day I hope it will be home. Yeah, and Jeb, you've kind of fantasized about this kind of thing from time to yeah. time too. Is it? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, some family property in Georgia, and um, I've got the spot picked out. Um, yeah, it's going to need a little. Uh, it's going to need some grading because it it could get soft there after a, a good rain, so it'll need to be. Uh, um, uh, it'll need to be peaked, if you will. It'll, it'll, there'll need to be a crown to it, so uh, so water will run off of it, and and uh, you know get some good grass and seed it. And I don't know. I figure fifty feet by twenty five hundred or three thousand feet ought to do it. Uh, and there's the land is there for that. It shouldn't be a huge crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, trees at one end, and and 
some some trees beyond uh, the fence line at the other end uh, shouldn't shouldn't be too big a deal. Um, so I'm uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a long term plan. Uh, you know, uh, if the economy uh, keeps going in the tank, who knows? But uh, you're saying it could uh, happen listen, sooner rather than later. Could happen sooner. You may have to go uh, to ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, um, there's no telling. Uh, obviously, all that'll take some money, but uh, uh, who knows? You know, um, it, it'd be nice. Yeah, it's definitely something I want to do. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure it. out what. It's, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what what to do with some of that land now, uh, and I'll know more um, uh, by the end of the year whether uh, uh, that that particular. Uh, Part of the property is going to continue to be um, uh, tillable land, or uh, i.e. crops, or if we're going to put it in trees, or what we're going to do with it. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, and these these are the, uh, um, this is a really nice. Um, um, this is what it's all about, you know. Uh, uh, hat, hats off to uh, uh, to Pilot MKN. Yeah, a very envious young man. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, this is a story that's about a week old, and you guys can, it's, yeah, about a week old, and you guys can tell me if there's anything new about this, um, but according to this story from November 10th, this is from the, uh, uh, from the Wall Street Journal website, um, the, uh, uh, Obama administration is floating a name for possible, uh, candidate to be the, uh, new FAA administrator. Um, this would be a gentleman by the name of Robert Herbert. Um, he's apparently a, a, a an aide to Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, and it goes. This story has a lot more details about his background. Do you guys know of this gentleman, Robert? Well, Herbert? I, I don't know him, but let's back up a second here. Um, this this strikes me more as uh, um, uh, hopefully a, a self fulfilling prophecy, perhaps on Reid's part. Uh, if you read kind of down in the fine print ah, on this, okay, okay, um, Reid's office is kind of pumping this guy up. Uh, then you read further down. It says Reed's office confirmed that Herbert is being considered for the FAA post, now held by Rob, Robert Sturgill, a Republican. Obama's transi- transition office did not respond to a request for comment. Right. Um, well, okay. You, that's not that's not uncommon that they would not respond to a request for comment, but uh, it's I think a little early um, in the process for. Uh, I mean, the, the transition's been focused on state. They've been focused on some of the other, the cabinet-level yeah. uh, uh, positions. They haven't gotten down to the agency level yet. And I, I kind of wonder if, A, this is a bit premature, and, B, a little bit of wishful thinking on Harry Reid's part. That may be what it is. That may well, be what and it is. something to keep in mind here, and Chip's 100% right about the cabinet-level stuff being... Uh, if nothing else, the top focus of of public attention, media attention, and where they're going to start filling up stuff first. But in talking to a couple of people that I know at 800 Independence, uh, you know, they're they're also they're hearing a couple of other names. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty clear to me that there are people already at work, yeah, vetting names for these sure. inter inter. Uh, cabinet-level agencies like the FAA uh, and the National Highway Transportation uh, uh, well, Safety Administration, well, railroad well, people. and Jack, before you jump in, one, one other point. Um, whoever they name for FAA, 
has to be someone who can work with the DOT secretary. So they kind of got to go to the secretary level first and then make the secretary part of the decision process in deciding who's going to be the FAA administrator. And that's what I wanted to jump to. I mean, uh, uh, have you heard any buzz on who the – are there any – candidates we're hearing about I have not I haven't I haven't really been focused on that to be honest with you but I've not heard any quality buzz on transportation um um, I've heard some names but I I think Jim put it correctly quality buzz uh I've heard some names floated and in one instance I wonder whether it's you know the person themselves floating their name uh, you know which is not an unheard of phenomenon in D.C. Uh, for somebody to to start a rumor or to have a friend start a rumor that they're being considered for a post uh-huh. uh, in hopes that they'll be considered for, if not that post, something close to it. And, and, and we can start a rumor right now that Dave Higdon is being considered for the FIA <laughs> minister. If, if yeah. elected, yeah. I will not serve. Well, why not? Hey, if your president asks, you're supposed to say yes. Hey, you're already in the capital of aviation. You wouldn't even have to relocate. <laughs> <laughs> Now that would make it good, but I've got friends at the FAA, and they would black. I think, I, I think trying to run it is a little bit over my skill level. Well, <laughs> they have stories, so yeah, I was going to say uh, they would blackball you, Dave. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you, you, you don't have to worry about it, Dave. Yeah. Um, but here's something On you can do: I'd take an appointment to the NTSB in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, I would too. Um, um, I, I, I was looking at the Plum Book uh, last week when it came out. The Plum I never book, looked at that. Uh, I, read, I, heard, I saw the it, headlines for that. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a PDF of it floating around somewhere. But the Plum Book, for, for those of our listeners who may not know, uh, is a plum-colored book that comes out every four years, which is a list of all positions within the federal government subject to presidential appointment, um, whether they whether, uh, must be confirmed by the Senate or not. And uh, it's called a plum book because obviously those jobs can be plums, depending on, on who, <clears throat> depending on your outlook, I guess. They can be burdens and they can be plums. But uh, I was looking at the plum book, and uh, yeah, there's NTSB kind of sticking out there like a sore thumb, and there's a couple of slots, a couple of uh, board level uh, offices open there, and lesser staff positions and whatnot. But uh, well, if you get I, that, just I, I'm not in that. I'm not in that uh, that universe anymore. Just, so just it's not one an of issue. the requirements is that you're allowed to continue to do uh, uncontrolled airspace. Well, that's what I tell everybody when they ask. You know, if they, when they offer me a, a high paying job and I and uh, they decline, and so I'm still here. Yeah. So it isn't bad enough that uh, that. Uh, they're trying to give us this larger aircraft security Dave's program. Dave's finally laughing. Jackie just went right over Jack, Jack's head. <laughs> I'm just thinking how good it is to be this high above sea level. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to. I'll listen to the tape Long later. Long way on. to run downhill. I'll listen uh, to the tape later on. Um, this is an item we sort of touched on this item last week, um, and uh, and I kind of pushed it along, thinking that by the time this day came around, we would have done more some research and learned some more. And I'm not sure if we have, but this is regarding uh, the uh, soon-to-be new uh, head guy at AOPA, uh, Craig Fuller. And uh, I don't know, I put you guys on the spot. I mean, do what do we know about this gentleman? Um, Dave, Dave, you talked about him being, his tone being different, I think is the term you used. And uh, uh, do, do oh, we he, know this he, guy at all? What's he like? Well, he's, he's, he's a longtime hand in Washington political circles. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, he's represented the uh, and, and worked with Republicans quite heavily in a lot of instances, and no harm, no foul there. Uh, 
uh, he understands how the system works. Uh, and in talking to some friends of mine, contacts and former co-workers with first-hand knowledge, uh, he is definitely going to bring a different tone and tenor to uh, the association than uh, was effectively used by his predecessor, Phil Boyer, the outgoing president. And Phil's done an extraordinary job with the association in the uh, 17, 18 years that he's been on board. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, under Phil's tenure, uh, membership in the association uh, grew to the point that uh, AOPA now can claim as members about 70% of the pilot population in the United States, maybe yeah. 75%. It's pretty good penetration. Um, so, Jeb, do you know this guy at all? I don't know him. Um, I know the firm he came from, uh, which was, I believe, Arnold and Porter. I, I, you know, I have to take a powder on that one because uh, uh, I, I don't have any information on him in front of me, but I think it was Arnold and Porter. Do we know anything uh, about how – I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were going to – But uh, uh, he's a pilot. He's an aircraft owner. I think he owns a Bonanza. Um, well, there you uh, go. He's a good guy then, huh? Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> typically. Um, uh, my boss, Paul Bertarelli – um, um, did a series of uh, videos, um, interview, video interviews, if you will, with uh, Boyer, kind of an exit interview with Boyer, and kind of an incoming interview with Fuller. And not pimping uh, uh, the videos and not pimping AvWeb, but they are available on AvWeb and, and, uh, uh, and AvWeb's page on YouTube. Um, the boys got, Fuller, the boys got a, a big pair of uh, wingtips to, to fit into yeah yeah he's he's got um you know some metrics uh of the association it can only go down and not membership being one of them um uh i don't i think they've probably got as much market penetration as they're going to get and and fuller's coming in for example probably at the peak of aopa's membership all time um he's coming in Um, at a time when, you know, we've had a, a stalled reauthorization bill, we've had uh, stalled decisions on user fees, uh, and it's likely that the next several months will decide many of those issues. Yeah. Um, we've also got issues over security. got security uh, issues. We've got, uh, we're going to have access issues here, too, because before the smoke clears, um, we're going to see... You know, I'm sure, and I'm just going to say this, I'm sure we're going to see some kind of increased fees uh, for certain airspace at certain times or certain airports. Uh, It's uh, uh, demand pricing, they call it. And if you want to go into uh, uh, the Atlanta uh, Class Bravo at 5 p.m. on a Friday evening, you might have to pay the piper to do so. Uh, you've got ADSB, you've got Next Gen, you've got all of these kinds of issues out there. Um, Boyer um, has been has had a very successful tenure. AOPA has has grown and prospered under him. Um, I think perhaps um, no one, given no matter who they are and no matter under what circumstances they came into this position. I don't think anyone could 
um, do as well as Boyer did, and I don't think anyone coming in now uh, will have as good a uh, record at AOPA when they leave as uh, um, as Boyer did. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so the, it's, it's a, a tough pair of weeks to fill. Here's a little background on the gentleman. Uh, he's worked in uh, in the White House. Uh, he's headed up a national trade association. He's worked for a Fortune 50 corporation uh, and done global consulting and public affairs work. Uh, he earned his private certificate at 17, graduated from UCLA, earned a master's at Occidental College. Uh, he worked at uh, Deaver and Hannaford, which was founded by assistance to then Governor California Governor Ronald Reagan, uh, Mike Deaver, and Peter Hannaford, who went on and worked for Reagan in the White House. Uh, Fuller worked in the Reagan administration. He was invited to be chief of uh, staff to Vice President uh, George H.W. Bush. Uh, he was part of that president's uh, campaign and co-chaired the transition team. Uh, he headed the National Association of Chain Drug Stores. Uh, he bought a a36 Bonanza, which he logged more than 200 hours a year, speaking at events as uh, head of that outfit. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, identified by a search firm to help. Uh, that was hired to help find candidates from among the 597,000 licensed pilots in the U.S. I'm glad to know that all of us were considered for this job. Uh, I, I maybe that's that voicemail I never did return. I wasn't going to tell you about my interview, but you know it didn't go well. So uh. but he's uh, he's uh, been flying for 40 years. He's run a national association. He's worked uh, as a lobbyist. He's worked in the White House. Uh, his background couldn't be more different than Phil's was right. when Phil came into the job mm-hmm. after working in television production and creating and, and uh, producing uh, the wide world of aviation for the uh, ABC television network. Uh, and that media savvy is actually one of the things that, uh, that Phil really helped uh, use to help elevate AOPA over the years, and you can see it across a lot of the programs that they have now, including their safety foundation stuff, uh, their use of the internet. Uh, it's interesting. And, I, I wonder, is it a sign of our times that 20 years ago what AOPA needed was a media guy, and what they need now is a political guy? I think it is. Uh, I think it is. Now, I have to remember that uh for those of us that were paying attention to such esoterica almost 20 years ago, uh, there were two other candidates for the job uh, when uh, the AOPA board hired uh, Phil Boyer, and one of them was highly coveted by a lot of pilots because he was one of us. Mm-hmm. He was a retired airline pilot. Uh, he was a long-term GA pilot, a flight instructor, all-around good guy, great writer, who still writes for AOPA. His name's Barry Schiff. Oh, really? And okay. Barry was up for uh, was in contention for that. He was uh, supposed to be one of the three on the short list. And there was a great hue and cry that uh, the, the board missed its chance by not picking a guy who was such an aviator's aviator. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turned out, the board really picked a good one in Boyer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and 
you know, there have been times when we've had our criticisms of Phil. There have been times when he hasn't been happy with us and vice versa. Uh, but there's no arguing with the fact that the guy was a huge success for the association. Uh, he has worked extremely well with some of the other players. Maybe the one big in the industry, maybe the one big exception was when uh, he and uh, Senator McCain were on opposite sides of things when the, uh, the president tried right. to appoint Phil to the advisory council for yeah. the advisory board for yeah. FAA. Uh, yeah, I think it is telling that they're going for somebody with a great deal of political savvy and uh, good relationships with apparently folks on both sides of the aisle. It is kind of interesting that his strongest connections are from the or with the party that has been losing influence or will lose a lot of influence after the uh, inauguration in January. Yeah. yeah. Well, but like I don't said, think that'll hurt his effectiveness by any means. Like you said, uh, he has some very big shoes to fill, and uh, he has some very, very big challenges on his plate, and we obviously he wish has, him he, well. He has my support, man, yeah. whatever it takes, whatever he needs from me. Well, abs- absolutely, and um, um, more power to him and, and tailwinds, dude. Absolutely, and, uh, and and to the uh, search firm, thanks for considering me. I probably would have turned it down. <laughs> You're holding out for the NTSB job. Uh, here's a cool story. Uh, this is from a story on the AOPA online uh, uh, website. Uh, in, I think it's on one of their blogs. But uh, anyways, um, this is uh, radio listeners grab 100 flights in 60 seconds. Uh, read you the first <laughs> paragraphs here. Would you believe that a flight school could book 100 introductory flights in 60 seconds? Well, U.S. Aca- U.S. Flight Academy in Denton, Texas, did th- just that in conjunction with a Dallas radio station, KLUV. A special promotion offered Discovery flights in light sport aircraft to the station's listeners for $40, half the normal price. And, uh, you know, my, my little headline in our show notes was, uh, was what was it? It was, uh, it was uh, marketing to potential student pilots, what a concept. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I actually have some, some reservations about this, but they're kind of in the future. Right now, I think this is just cool, and this is just a sign of how we could be smarter about the way that we are attracting new people into aviation. And, what, what are uh, your reservations? I want to know um, how many of these hundred actually move on at some stage of the game to flight training. Yeah, yeah. Um, as compared to the average hundred, you know, whatever. Well, if if we're lucky... If we're lucky, because I want to know how many of that hundred are just kind of just 20, because it's forty percent will wind up with tickets. Oh, uh, uh, if we're extremely lucky, oh, uh, that would be insane. Yeah, if, we're, if we're lucky, yeah. we'll get twenty percent. If, if, if we're lucky, typical, we'll get five. It'll be five or six. I was going to yeah. say if, if it's if we're really lucky, it's five. But what it does show us, though, is that is that you know if you're just a little bit aggressive, a little bit clever about marketing this stuff, people are, are ready. They're raring to go. Well, you know. You know, and, and we can we can hit this again sometime. Maybe we ought to just kind of think about and set aside plans for uh, uh, yeah, an episode on this standalone topic in a couple on of weeks. this on this general topic. But the the typical <clears throat> uh, FBO experience is abysmal. Oh, tell me about it. As that was a regular topic of ours the yeah. first year that we did this. Yeah, and and a, it hadn't gotten any better, folks. And I and I'm going to leave it at this for tonight. Yeah. But this has been 
you, you think I, I get my button pushed about the Department of Homeland Security. This one pushes my button almost as much yeah. when we start talking about the industry efforts or lack thereof to broaden the base. And bless his heart, one of my real heroes in this is Alan Klapmeyer. Uh, because I've known Alan since back in the days when he and Dale ran Cirrus as an experimental aircraft company. And he was preaching the same thing then. If you hear him talk today, he'll be preaching it again today. And that's it. We don't do enough to expand the base. Because it's in making our numbers larger where some real economies start to show up, where better political influence, and let's not quit ourselves. We've got to have the political influence, or one day the airlines will have all the years in Congress going, yeah, those guys really serve no useful purpose. Uh, but we need, more, we need more of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, you, if you look at almost any similar activity and and I would include in that uh, skydiving I would include in that um, um, scuba diving uh-huh. uh, motorcycling even horseback riding and and uh, uh, other um, um, I don't know sports activities boating. avocations boating boating especially um, <clears throat> The industry, the, the presentation, the uh, uh, the outreach is more professional. Um, it is yes, all of those activities uh, require less training and and perhaps less money up front to get to a a first rung of a ladder. Um, but that to me only says that we have to do it smarter and better and cleaner and more professionally than those other avocations. We can talk about dirty FBOs. We can talk about unkempt FBOs. We can talk about 40-year-old furniture in, in FBOs and lack of training materials and, and all this kind of stuff all day long. 40-year-old those, trainers on the ramp. Right. Those, yeah, those things do exist out there, and they are problems. When you've got some guy pulling up in a $75,000 Lexus, and getting into an airplane that is worth less than the engine in that Lexus um, to to learn how to fly um, and the things you know it's a forty year old one fifty or one fifty two and and the the plastic is falling off of it and and the radios are scratchy and it's hot and and uh, I've, you got know. A, I've got a little source of optimism here though yeah. I yeah. didn't put it on the list, but since we're in here uh recently it became known that Cessna Cessna aircraft company of course is most of us most of us listening know they are Getting into the LSA business with the Skycatcher, which is due on the market the second half of next year. Uh, they are in the process of rewriting the training curriculum that their Cessna pilot centers use to teach flying so that you start out in an LSA and you get your sport pilot's license and then move on to the 172 to work on your private. I think Good. it's brilliant. It is. It's just and, brilliant. And, and, it, it, I, I, I would hesitate, though, to, to label it as brilliant. It's good. It's a no-brainer to me. 
Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna come up with an LSA aircraft and put it on your put it in your product line, the, and it requires training to learn how to fly. Well, you need damn well ought to vertically integrate your product the, line and the training program. But the, the but thing that I think is brilliant is the fact that they've integrated the aircraft and the training with their mainline trainer aircraft and their mainline private pilot instead of setting up a standalone separate LSA course. The first half of the private pilot course is the LSA course. Right, right. And one of the benefits of that is that it gets the pilot to a point of functionality twice as fast. You know, when we solo, we still can't carry anybody with us except our flight instructor. Sure. Now, if we've got a flight instructor up front with us and we're flying a four-seater, we can always take, you know, wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband in the back seat to something. I did that a couple of times when I was working on my private, and we flew to uh, an airport with a place to eat. But this actually gets the student pilot, the private student, to a level of functionality where once he's got that sport pilot sign-off, he can go someplace in the sky catcher with friend, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend in half the time that it would take for the private. So you right. get them to a point where they're really engaged. And since one of the problems is lack of momentum, fall off, it starts to get it too expensive, people lose interest because all they can do is go put themselves around on the days when they can't get a flight instructor. Uh, and since in the wisdom of the FAA and the committee of aviation people that helped create the, the rules, the uh, time spent flying light sport is is loggable toward a private pilot's license. You know, a person and, could theoretically get all their, all their solo time off on the LSA and only have to fulfill the second 10 hours of duel and the check ride for the private. You know, Dave, there's something else about that time that they spend learning uh, uh, to fly all in LSA as a sport pilot, it's not subtracted from their lifespan. <laughs> Big deal. Big deal. You know, I've, I've been rereading a book that is one of my all-time favorite aviation books. Um, yeah. I, I probably read it, you know, I mean, way before I learned how to fly. Um, it's called Weekend Pilot, and it's by a guy named Frank Kingston Smith. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, whose son went on to kind of be part of our, our uh, sh uh, the air show uh, community, uh, I believe as an announcer and, and maybe some other things. Anyways, um, and uh, Weekend Wings is the story of uh, Frank Kingston Smith who reached middle age and uh, sort of had a midlife crisis and, and uh, as a way of kind of dealing with that crisis started uh, flight training. And this is in 1955, and he writes about his learning how to fly in a Cessna 140 um, at Wings Field, which is just north of Philadelphia. Here's the, the thing. Home, at, home, home, the founding location of AOPA. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Here's what, here's what made me think of it just this minute, though, is that I was kind of shocked in rereading this just the other day when he first describes his first visit to Wings Field, all right? He describes the things that we're familiar with about an airport, but the thing that we're not familiar with is that he describes there being what he called a country club on the airport, where there was a pool and people took their families and you know had dinner and spent the afternoon. And I mean, this was not like a country club that was part of a golf. I mean, at least the way he described it, it isn't. He described it as being a part of the airport. The airport was a place where you took your family on the weekend and uh, had a had a great old time. And oh, by the way, flew airplanes. 
And I was just reading that going, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. But He was a great, great, great guy. Uh, Did you know him? Yeah, I got to I, I got to know him in working for a, a, an association years ago, and uh, he was a contributor to a publication that they produce, still produce. Of course, and, that's right. You know, in the early that's now you mention it. I remember now in the early days of my flying t- career, uh, if you want to call it a career, but my time as a pilot, um, he used to write for maybe it was a one of the magazines. It was for AOPA. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and uh, periodically he would show up at uh, headquarters at Frederick and uh, uh, Frank and the original editor of Pilot Magazine, uh, a crusty old former ink-stained wretch, uh, wire service guy, newspaper guy by the name of uh, Max Carrant. Oh, I know that name, yeah. would get together and do, talk about a dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when uh, Max quit flying, if I remember right, he had somewhere in the neighborhood of 11,000 hours as a private pilot and had been flying the same twin Comanche for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's stories that he told me about dealing with the FAA when he was uh, on staff at AOPA that are not publishable on a family podcast. <laughs> well, anyways, I, I, every FBO needs to be a country club. That's what I think. And uh, so, so well, we're, there's so much we're doing wrong. Uh, you know, there are some things we're doing right, but there's so much that we're doing wrong. Uh, when it comes to trying to market this community, this industry to to non participants, um, um, that uh, I'm surprised we we still even have an industry. Yeah. Hey, we got to move this thing along here. Um, oh no, Jeb, you told oh. us about the uh, Gamma has the General Aviation Manufacturers Association has issued their third quarter shipments report. Tell us what it says. Yes, indeed. Well, it it says. Unsurprising. Classic good news, bad news. Yeah, it's classic good news, bad news, and and this was, uh, this was issued earlier this month, earlier in November, and uh, details, um, basically the first nine month, uh, uh shipment uh, numbers, um, 2008 compared to 2007. Um, the good news is that um, Billings. Are up more than three billion dollars. The uh, interestingly, the number of airframes is up only two percent, um, um, less than uh, well about f- uh, fifty yeah, uh, aircraft. To- total shipments are up. These total shipments uh, to, uh, over the over the nine month period. Um, the bad news is, despite those numbers. Oh, well, let me let me rephrase, let me rephrase that. The numbers basically show a lot of growth in the turbine-powered arena, and and uh, almost twelve percent decrease in the number of piston aircraft shipped. Uh, the the basic numbers are uh, um, in two thousand seven, uh, first nine months of the year, um, eighteen hundred and fifty-seven piston aircraft were sh- delivered by Gamma member companies. In 2008, first nine months, that number dropped to 1,646 for an 11.4% decrease. Um, Not going to to get into that kind of detail on turboprops and business jets, except that um, 
turboprop saw a 13.7% increase over the year, uh, and business jets a whopping 30.1% increase. Yeah, we're, we're headed for another record year for business jets. We really are. But wait, what's well, the, what period and, and, is and this? There, there's a little bit of hidden good news, well, backhanded kind of way in the piston number, so. Yeah, it didn't uh, drop as far as it could have. Well, it, 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 the drop had been higher in the first and second quarters. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What we've seen is that it, things started falling off at the tail end of 2007. They fell off in the first quarter of 08, the second quarter of 08. But the second and third quarter numbers, the declines compared to the prior year's quarter or same period, have gotten smaller yeah. because well, there has been some gain in deliveries over earlier in the year. Yeah, but so, hang on, here's my question. What tell me the what were the dates of this report? This This is this is this was well, the, the report released. was issued earlier in 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 November. November what 13, it does November it summarizes 13. the first 9 months of each calendar year and it compares 2007 to 2008. So that's through through the end of September. Through the See, end my of concern t- is that this doesn't reflect the period when the that's economy exactly really, truly con- started to go to hell. That's exactly when, my concern. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. this doesn't reflect the stuff that's happened since the... Uh, right. Things actually, really started things to go started nuts. Started in mid-September. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't think you're going to see much reflected in even the fourth quarter numbers here. But, but Dave, Dave they're, laying, they're laying people off, off left trend. and right. Every single manufacturer in the world is laying people off right yeah. now. I, I that was just must, including have Cessna, that. including Raytheon, and Cirrus has cut back. Uh-huh. Uh, but and that Rudy, must Rudy be because they caretaker status. And that must be because they're not selling as many airplanes. It just has to. It be. is because they're not selling as many airplanes. But the airplanes that are going to get delivered in the third quarter predominantly were sold months ago. Well, okay, before, that's before the fit hit the sham. We're, we're, and, yeah, okay. So we're relying a little bit on a pyramid game here. But uh, all right. Yeah. Well, not oh, the no, first no. time. No, no, no. We're going to we're going to see things decline further in '09. But I don't think that uh, we're going to see a much bigger drop, if any bigger drop, in the fourth quarter of this year, partly because there's some incentives in place that you can take 100% advantage of if you don't take delivery of the aircraft until the last day of the year. So you can get 100% of the tax benefits from these incentives by taking delivery on December 30 or 31, but only incur the actual expenses of one day or two days. Right. And get the full year's tax benefits for that purchase. And, you know, airplanes like this aren't impulse purchases. It's not like you ran down to Airmart and kicked a couple of tires and came home with an airplane that you didn't intend to. Uh, so the stuff that was delivered in the third quarter uh, predominantly was built and contracted quite a bit earlier. And that's going to carry through some on the fourth quarter. I'm not saying it's going to be down. From your lips to whoever's ears, but uh, I'm still worried. 2009 is where the problems that we're seeing now are really going to start to show up. And from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, uh, at our end of the business, you know, those of us that fly things that go suck, squeeze, bang, blow, rather than spin, suck, squeeze, blow, there's still finance money out there. Uh, so it's not the lack of credit. If you can qualify, if you would qualify a year ago, you can probably find the money today. The biggest difference may be the size of the down payment. It may be 25% instead of 15 or 20%. Uh, but there's still money there. 
Yeah. Uh, I hope so. Bigger uh-huh. dollar stuff is starting to get a real squeeze. I hope so. Well, Shout out, Jed. Uh, wanna uh, yeah, just uh, I mean, quickly, please. Yes, um, the, the, there are certain uh, um, products out there that have a longer lead time, and that will not be doing uh, nearly as badly as other products out there. But um, here's you know on November five, Mooney temporarily halts production. Yeah. Um, and uh, laid off 229 of its existing 320 employees. There's 91 people left at Mooney. Now, Mooney has had hard times. They've had, is kind of the, the, the poster child for hard times in the piston aviation industry. Um, there are uh, uh, any number of other um, – did we just, we just lost Dave? We lost Dave. Hang on. We'll get him back here. His battery probably died. Exactly right. You there, David? Hello. Hello. Your cell phone battery, I mean, your uh, cordless phone battery died, right? Yep, I had to run in the house and pick up another one. That's what I thought. All right. I'm sorry, Jeb. We you were we interrupted you. I'll, I'll take it from. I'll, I'll take it. Just go ahead. Take just, it. You'll figure out where. Here's Rockwell Collins has shed 400 jobs. Um. Um. Let's see. Cessna slows citation production, citing global economy. Um, yeah. This is for stuff uh, that's going to be delivered months downstream. Hawker, Everybody's Hawker trying Beechcraft to get ahead. 490 jobs. Um, it, it goes on and on. Now, there's some bright spots. There's a uh, Turboprop Expo uh, is, is opening. Uh, well, actually, this is an older, uh, uh, older news item. And, uh, I'll get a report from, uh, from that for a future episode. Uh, we, we know about Eclipse. Um, Dayjet uh, is, is trying to maybe re- revitalize itself. Good luck with that. There's a lot of upheaval out there is the punchline. Yeah. And, and uh, I think my only comment um, is if there's a silver lining here, uh, you're going to see some realignment and you're going to see some, some Darwinianism um, perhaps oh, uh, in the industry. Um, but it, 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 we hadn't seen the worst of it yet is, is yeah. I guess, my bottom line uh, because, as, as Jack correctly uh, noted, the numbers that we just talked about from Gamma – uh, don't really reflect uh, what has happened in the economy over the last two or three months. Uh, the, those numbers ended um, uh, September 30, where a lot of the uh, failures and credit crunch really started, uh, you know, hitting the fan, if you will, right after Labor Day. So yeah. uh, there's some slack built in there. Would those numbers have been better if nothing had happened in the third quarter? Probably so, but only uh, uh, fractionally so. Yeah, I was going to say only marginally. It's this, it's this fourth quarter and comparing 08 to 07 and then maybe, you know, kind of going quarter to quarter to quarter where we see the peaks and valleys um, uh, in the market and in, in the units shipped and in the, in the billings that will really get a, a, a stark slap in the face on some of this, I'm afraid. Yeah, and the, the ahead, lead Dave. time on, on most of these sales is such that, like Jim yeah. said, we, we, have, we haven't seen it get bad yet. And yeah. to, to be kind of square on the airplane manufacturers, quite a bit of this activity that they've undertaken recently, Cessna's cuts, Hawker Beach, Cirrus's slowdown, uh, 
are attempts to get ahead of the well, problem. They're, they're trying to manage it. Them. Exactly. They're trying to manage, right. it, manage it as good managers do, um, but they can't wave a wand and make uh, all these external factors no. go away. No. And, and that's my, my, my prediction point. is that the, on the business jet side, it's going to be on the uh, on the light end, the entry level side, where things are going to be toughest uh, because the the predominant customer for the larger stuff is, is is corporate or people with such high net worth that even though their portfolio might have shrunk a lot lately, they're still not willing to give up the jet and fly first class with all the other people. No, they're not. Okay, uh, we got Go ahead. You know, as long as as long as federal government keeps bailing them out, they won't have to. <laughs> there you go. Shout outs. Um, I've taken the liberty of assigning a couple of shout outs to you guys here. Jeb, you want to tell us about this uh, this uh, Steve McQueen thing? Yeah, this is something that that came across my radar screen. Um, the um, uh, Aviation Museum of Santa Paula, California, is having a program uh, scheduled for. Saturday, December 6th, uh, it's the Santa Paula Airport. Um, the museum there uh, has a, a retrospective and uh, um, uh, 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 I don't know, just a presentation uh, and book signing. Uh, Barbara McQueen had a, uh, has done a book of her late husband, Steve McQueen, uh, who was a big-time aviation guy in, in Santa Paula Airport, was uh, one of his favorite places on earth, according to uh, according to her and according to the book. Um, and uh, it's it's a very uh, she should be a very nice event. Uh, if anybody is a fan of Steve McQueen, or uh, if anybody is a fan of the uh, Santa Paula Airport, this is something they might want to consider doing. Great, great. It, it, you know that 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 guy for me was yeah. the epitome of cool. Exactly. Uh, you know whether it was in. Uh, you know the uh, the Great Escape or Bullet. The guy just had an air about him, uh, even in the Blob. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. David, uh, David, I, I can tell David's already hankering for spring because he wanted to call our attention to Sun and Fun. Well, yeah, yeah the uh, the uh, folks down there in Lakeland uh, kind of. Uh, nudged my uh, synapses a little bit and I got to thinking it's this time of year as Jack was complaining when you know this ugly winter starts to show up that we think hey, this won't last forever and when it's over spring will be here and when spring comes sun and fun comes so the folks uh, down at Lakeland uh, Donna Gabriel and, and, and her boss uh, uh, John our old friend the, they, they're already hard at work uh, there have been volunteer meetings going on uh, it's going to get busy from here on April 21 to April 26 not too early to start thinking about it uh, also not too early you know to, to start thinking about Oshkosh and if you go to either show's website uh, you can see some of the things are coming up. Uh, Sun and fun shaping up to be uh, 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 another good year. 
uh, Oshkosh, if you have been in recent years and you go back in 2009, uh, you just have to be a little bit stunned at some of the site changes that are going on there now. That's why visiting the website wouldn't be a bad idea to see the work that they're doing. So yeah. not too early to plan on going to Lakeland. I mean, perfect antidote to winter That's right. is a few days down there in Lakeland watching right. the airplanes and the ultralights and the LSAs and the fighters and the bombers and cruising the buildings and sitting out in front of one of the uh, little hutches having an after-hours drink and listening to some good music. Yeah, there you go. We came away from there last spring with a lot of really cool ideas for things that we might do the following year, and so I guess it's time for us to start uh, start making those things real. And uh, well, they've they've already made it known to us that uh, uh, we're uh, we're we're expected back uh, if we want to repeat our opening day, closing day uh, live podcast from the radio station. Uh, the, they're expecting us, uh, yep. going to yep. make us open and open up the doors to us, and uh, they didn't learn a thing the last two years. <laughs> and so maybe some other things as well. We'll, uh, we'll tell you more about that as time comes, goes on. I've got two here, but before I do that, um, do you guys have any spur-of-the-moment ones you want to drop in here, too? Um, not for me, no. Okay. Um, quickly, I want to uh, thank my new friends at Southern Maine Aviation for uh, giving me my first flight in a uh, tail dragger. That's a Tabria ride, and, and, and flight training was awesome, and uh, I can't wait for more. And uh, um, They are, I think, an example of an above-average FBO. They seem to do a really good, it's a very pleasant place. It's very well kept. They've got a, a diverse uh, a collection of airplanes on the ramp. Um, they do, you know, they they're very active in the community, doing events around, you know. Uh, I say, boy, the, the the fact that they got a GoBosh and a Satabria there kind of speaks to that. And a Valor, yeah, right. a Valor right. as well. So yeah, so it's a great, it's a great. I'm really liking them. Um, I wish they were to the south of me instead of to the north of me, but that's my thing and that's my problem. I'm just going to have to get used to it. The other is, um, I participated over the weekend uh, on uh, Sunday evening in a live aviation podcast that was part of the podcast called Airplane Geeks Podcast. Uh, this particular episode was uh, done live through a, a website and system called uh, TalkShoe, where not only are the participants um, all talking with each other live, but it's being uh, streamed live on the net, and other people can can call in and that kind of thing. It was a lot of fun. There were a lot of great um, aviation podcasts. It wasn't just podcasting. It was uh, aviation new media, so there were bloggers and, and other other sorts of aviation folks. Um, Sounds like an aviation interactive experience. Yeah, it was How a lot of fun. How much alliteration can you squeeze out of that? It was a lot of fun. I met some people who I sort of knew from a distance um, and some people that I didn't know at all, um, as well as some of our old friends were there. Uh, it will, it is, it, I think it already has been published um, as part of the Airplane Geeks podcast series. Um, looking at their website here, uh, it's not clear to me, but you can go to airplanegeeks.com to learn more about this, and uh, I urge people to, uh, to give a listen. It, it, I'll be honest, it, this particular episode didn't have as much to do about aviation as it did to do about new media and the web and wikis and forums and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Airplane Geeks podcast in general has a lot of fun stuff every week uh, and interesting you know, uh, newsworthy stuff um, about aviation. So I, I recommend you both to this particular episode and to the podcast in general. And those are my shout outs. Uh, anything else before I wrap this thing up? Fork. Stick a fork. Stick a fork in it. Hey, uh, 
David Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and he's the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And you can learn more about him at kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales, or just Google his name and uh, learn about all his great writing. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And you can learn more about Jeb at uh, jebburnside.com or aviationsafetymagazine.com or avweb.com. I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, a new media producer, and a budding tail dragger pilot. And you can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com or around. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, it's that budding part that I'm having an image problem with. <laughs> at jackhodgson.com or around the field.net. We once again want to send out great, great thanks to uh, Jeff Scoffridge at Ward for creating our show notes and also to our many listeners, and particularly Mike Morgan, for putting together the show opening disclaimer clips. Uh, and don't forget, you can visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, you can check out the wiki. Uh, that's all at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? I was going to say go flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, tailwheel, or tricycle. <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Let's go flying.